you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the 23rd Psalm. Psalm 23 will be our text today. And James, praise team, thank you so much for leading us. Um, James, thank you for teaching us that song on Psalm 23. That's a beautiful song. Yeah, I hope we sing that more often. That's wonderful. This morning, before we begin the sermon, I want to say just a word on the historic Supreme Court decision this past week overturning Roe versus Wade. To be a follower of Jesus Christ is to believe in the sanctity of human life. The Bible teaches that every life is sacred because every person is created in the image of God. Thus, life must always be valued and protected from the womb to the tomb. And therefore, we rejoice in this week's ruling. At the same time, we recognize this is not the end of our efforts, but only the beginning. As followers of Jesus, we must show love and concern for those with unplanned pregnancies. We must support those who foster and adopt children, particularly those in our own church family. And some of us need to be willing to do that ourselves, if that is what God calls us to do. We must continue to support ministries that champion the cause of life. May God help us in this. May the church of Jesus Christ be salt and light during these days. Today marks the third sermon in our series entitled Summer in the Psalms. This morning we come to what is perhaps the best known and most beloved of all the Psalms, the 23rd Psalm written by King David. In the 23rd Psalm, David employs imagery of which he is intimately familiar, that being the imagery of a caring shepherd tending to his sheep. Of course, we know David himself was a shepherd boy before becoming the king of Israel. One might ask the question, what is it about the 23rd Psalm that has endeared it in such a significant way to God's people over thousands of years? What is it about the 23rd Psalm that makes it so special? Well, my view is that this can be attributed to a number of things. Number one, it's simplicity. It's relatively short and easy to memorize. Number two, to the comfort that it provides the reader to know that there is a shepherd who is watching over us. That's something that we need to hear and hear often. And finally, number three, to its personal touch. Whereas many psalms are written from a congregational perspective, Psalm 23 is written from an individual perspective. The Lord is my shepherd. It makes it very personal to us. For all of these reasons, Psalm 23 has ministered to innumerable souls down through the ages. Whether it be recited in a children's Sunday school class, over the family dinner table, during bedtime prayers, or at the graveside, Psalm 23 is a gift from the Holy Spirit to the people of God. Psalm 100 reminds us that we are His people the sheep of his pasture. So as his sheep, let us now come to this text with the purpose of better understanding all that our shepherd does for us. This morning we'll identify seven things in this psalm, seven acts of kindness that our good shepherd graciously performs on our behalf. So let's begin reading Psalm 23. We'll start with verse 1. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
Now, I'll start with a confession. When I was a kid, I used to read this verse without the pause and think, well, that's not very nice that he doesn't want the Lord as his shepherd. Has anyone else ever thought that? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But as you probably know, that's not what David is saying here. There is supposed to be a pause there, so don't read it too fast like I did. But perhaps a little clearer translation of this phrase is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. The point is that our shepherd gives us everything that we need. Now, please note there's a difference between needs, what this verse addresses, and wants, or we might say selfish desires. Our shepherd does not let us be in want, but he also does not give us everything we want, does he? And there's a difference. There's a reason for that. Not everything that we want is good for us. The shepherd knows better than the sheep what the sheep truly need. And so we have to trust him in that. I could think of a lot of things I want. Some of you could as well. For starters, a million dollars would be really nice. But the Lord hasn't entrusted that to me, which means I'm probably not ready for that level of stewardship. And it would probably end up drawing me away from God and bringing a lot of pain and heartache into my life. Sometimes we ask God for our wants, and he simply says no, because our requests are selfish and not in his will. James 4 says you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. The point is that God does not give us everything we want, but he does give us everything we need. First and foremost, he gives us of himself, and that alone is enough. His grace is sufficient. As one man has said, Jesus plus nothing is everything. But in addition to that, he also knows the daily needs that we have as human beings, and he graciously meets those needs. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't worry about your life what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Did you catch that? If we put God first, he will always make sure we have what we need. In Psalm 37, King David says, I've been young and now I'm old, Yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. So dear Christian, rest easy. Don't be anxious. Our shepherd knows what you need, and he will provide it for you. I shall not be in want. Let's continue reading now with verse 2 and the first part of verse 3. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Here's the second thing I want us to see. Our shepherd leads us where we need to go. Again, the imagery here is so peaceful and restful. Verse 2 says that we're made to lie down in green pastures. Green pastures are fields of grass that are healthy and tender and good for grazing. The phrase made to lie down speaks perhaps to the silliness of sheep who, again, don't always know what's best for themselves. And so the shepherd says here, 
lie down right here in this green pasture because he knows what his sheep need and where they will thrive. In like manner, we thrive when we listen to the shepherd, when we follow his leading and plant ourselves where he puts us. Similarly, we see in verse 2 that the shepherd leads the sheep beside still waters. Most of us have probably heard before sheep are not known for being particularly bright animals. I read one time that if you lead a sheep to a stream, they're likely to wade out into the swiftest part of the current and just get swept away. And that's why the good shepherd leads the sheep to still waters where they can be refreshed and quench their thirst safely. Our shepherd will always take care of us. He's always watching out for us. He will always lead us where we need to go if we will trust him and follow him. And when we do follow him, verse 3 says that he restores our soul. For so many of us today, our soul is anxious and stressed and hurried and harassed. We desperately need our soul to be restored. We long in our heart for green pastures and still waters. But the only way to find that restoration is to follow Jesus Christ, to put him first, to live for him, to serve him. It's in following and obeying Jesus that we find the rest for which our soul so desperately longs. Moving on in verse 3, it says, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. I want us to see here that our shepherd helps us live righteously. Now, God's expectation of his people, his expectation of us, is that we would be a holy and righteous people, set apart from the world unto him. Over and over again in the Old Testament law, God told the Israelites, be holy as I am holy. And then Peter picks this theme up in the New Testament and applies it to the church. And he says, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. As one of my mentors likes to say, holiness matters most. As Christians, we are to live our lives in such a way that we stand out from the world. We are not to withdraw from the world, but we are to be different from the world because of our commitment to Jesus Christ. But here's the deal with God. God never asks us or requires us to do anything that he also does not equip us to do. For instance, God does not require us to be holy and righteous people without also showing us what that means and how to do that. This is what verse 3 means when it says, He leads us in the paths of righteousness. In other words, our shepherd says here, Let me teach you. Let me show you how to live righteously, how to live in such a way that pleases God. And how does he do that? Primarily, he does that through the Word of God. As we apply ourselves to reading and studying the Bible, the Holy Spirit teaches us what it means to be a righteous person. As we read the Old Testament law, we learn of God's standard of holiness. As we read the Gospels, we see the holiness of God personified in Jesus Christ. And as we read the remainder of the New Testament, we are taught practically what it means to follow Jesus in holiness. 
And so if we apply ourselves to the word of God and follow Jesus closely, he will lead us on paths of righteousness that bring him glory. This is why David says he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. You see, the ultimate reason that we are to live holy and righteous lives is not so that others will see how good of a person that we are. That's not the point. But rather, so they will see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. That's the goal, that we would live our lives in such a way, not so that people would say, wow, they're a really good person, but so that we would live our lives in such a way as to point people to Jesus. But if we do our own thing, if we get off on our own path, then look out because we'll bring sadness into our own life and we'll bring shame upon the cause of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to do anything to bring shame upon my Savior or upon his church. Well, may we look to our shepherd to lead us in those paths of righteousness for his namesake. Look now at verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's the next thing I want us to see. Our shepherd comforts us in times of trouble. None of us enjoy walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And yet all of us will at one point or another in this world, in this life, pass through that dark valley. And I would submit this term refers not only to our own physical death, but I believe it can encompass other things as well. It could be the death of someone we love, or the death of a relationship, or even the death of a dream that we once held. Basically, the valley of the shadow of death refers to any dark place in which we find ourselves in this life, struggling to find hope, struggling to hold on, struggling with anxiety, struggling with fear. Sometimes when we're in this valley, it feels like God is not there at all. One poet has referred to this as the dark night of the soul. And some of you know what I'm talking about when I say that. You've experienced that firsthand. And for those of us who have not, we will. It is only a matter of time. But the wonderful thing that this psalm teaches us is that even when it doesn't feel like God is there, He is. He is there. The psalmist says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. What a wonderful truth that is. What a wonderful promise that is. The same promise is echoed in places like Deuteronomy 31 and Hebrews 13, where God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Are you going through a dark time this morning? Know and trust that the good shepherd does not leave his sheep when things get tough. We may not always be able to see him very well when it gets dark, but rest assured he is there. Verse 4 says, your rod and your staff comfort me. In Bible times, a shepherd used a rod for a couple things. He used it to beat off wild animals, but he also used it to give the sheep a whack now and then if he needed to. And he also used that staff to guide the sheep. 
MacArthur says the shepherd's club and crook are instruments of correction and direction. You know, that's exactly what our shepherd does for us. He gives us correction and direction. If we're his sheep, he'll correct us with the rod when we need it, and he'll guide and direct us with his staff. Both are instruments of his love and his care for us. The bottom line is our shepherd will never, ever leave us. He is always with us, particularly in the valley of the shadow of death, comforting us as we pass through. Dear Christian, I hope you know whatever darkness that you're walking through today, he is there, he is with you, and I pray that that knowledge is a comfort to you. Look at verse 5 now. David says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Here's the next thing. Our shepherd affirms us in the midst of our enemies. Here in verse 5, the imagery shifts a little bit from that of a shepherd in the fields to that of a host at a banquet. And that's okay. We'll still refer to the host as our shepherd. He's the, the same person after all. It's the Lord. Verse 5 puts us in the role of a guest coming into a banquet hall that is full, not of our friends, but of our enemies, full of people who don't like us, full of people who wish us harm and glare at us as we enter the room and disparage us as we come into the room. And in the midst of all of our enemies, our Lord, completely oblivious to all of them, says, Josh, come. I've prepared a special feast just for you. And we come into the room and there's a spread laid out before us unlike anything we've ever seen. Billy Gales times 10. Pancakes the size of hubcaps. And then not only does the Lord present this feast made special just for us, verse 5 says he anoints our head with oil. Now in Scripture, oil often represents God's anointing. God's blessing on someone. It represents the presence and power of the Holy Spirit on a person's life. For instance, we think about Samuel anointing Saul as king, and then later David as king with oil as a sign that they were God's chosen. It was also true in Bible times that the host of a banquet would often anoint an esteemed guest with oil. It was considered an act of honor and an act of hospitality. The picture in verse 5 is that of a person who is being treated as royalty by the host of the banquet. It is the picture of a person who is being affirmed publicly by the host, even though no one else in the room likes that person. We can just see the others in the room seething at the preferential treatment that this person is receiving, but the host doesn't care. In fact, the host seems to relish in honoring this person in the presence of their enemies. In fact, the guest is being treated so well by the host that the guest says, my cup runneth over. Let a little King James slip in there, didn't I? It runneth over. It runs over. It's like someone pouring you a drink of cold lemonade and being so generous that just a little bit runs over the side of the cup. I used to know an old saint who would often say, I'm drinking from my saucer because my cup is overflowed. Do you see the picture that's being painted here? Do you see the point that's being made? God is never ashamed of his children. And even if everyone else in the world be against us, if we're his child, he is for us. 
and his blessing is upon us. People, on the other hand, aren't always like that. People will let us down. People will betray us. Sometimes when our friends see that everyone else has turned their back on us, they do too, not God. He makes a feast for us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints us as his honored guest, and he affirms us as his own. Even when Noah was the only righteous man on earth, God never left him. Even when Elijah thought that he was the last prophet remaining, God never left him. Even when the apostle Paul sat in a Roman jail and basically had no one, God never left him. And dear Christian, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never deny you so long as you never deny him. He prepares us a table. He prepares us a feast in the presence of our enemies. Now, one last thing here. Note that it doesn't say he'll take our enemies away. That's not usually how God works. So long as we're on this earth, if we're doing his will, we'll have opposition. But the point is he'll make us a table even in the midst of them, in their presence. Well, let's read the last verse as the psalmist brings this beautiful psalm to a close now on a very high note. The first part of verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Pause there. Our shepherd blesses us every single day of our earthly life. Did you all know that God is good all the time? If I were to say that, could you say all the time God is good? God is good all the time. Amen. God is so good to his children. We are blessed in innumerable ways every single day. I'm convinced we don't even begin to understand or comprehend all that God does for us. Not only is he good to us, but he extends his mercy to us. Mercy is not getting the punishment and the wrath that we deserve for our sin. God is so patient with us. He is a God of great mercy. And by the way, he calls us over and over again to be people of mercy. You remember that when you go to lunch today and your waitress gets something a little bit wrong or is a little bit slow. We are called to be people of mercy. Psalm 86 says, You, O Lord, are a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. Every day that we're alive on this earth, every day that you and I wake up and draw breath into our lungs is a day that we experience God's goodness and mercy. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. But here's the great news. We see at the end of verse 6, it doesn't end when this life is over, does it? For the end of verse 6 says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The last thing I want us to see is that our shepherd will one day take us home to be with him forever. One day when this life is over, we will finally get to see our shepherd face to face. We will dwell in his house. We will dwell in his heaven forever. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see 
When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land, what a day, what a glorious day that will be. I'm looking forward to that day when there will forevermore be green pastures and still waters. Remember what Revelation says? It says the tree of life is there and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. Won't that be something? We need to understand one very important thing as we get ready to close today. We'll only get to see that land if we've put our faith in the good shepherd, the shepherd of our soul, Jesus Christ. Indeed, Jesus is such a good shepherd that the Bible says that he leaves the 99 sheep who are safe and secure to go searching for the one sheep that is lost. And I don't know about you, but I am so glad that Jesus came searching for me when I was a young boy, and he found me, and he saved me. And in like manner, Jesus is searching for lost sheep today. How do I know that? Because he's always searching. That's what he does. He's a good shepherd. If you're here today and you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, he stands ready to save you, to bring you into his flock. Turn from your sin. Believe upon him. Call on his name and he will hear your cry and he will save you this very hour. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm so glad. I hope that you can say the same, that he is your shepherd as well. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful psalm that you have given us. Thank you, Lord, that you are the good shepherd, that you care for us, that you watch over us, that you never leave us, that you never forsake us. Thank you, Lord, that you are the good shepherd who goes in search of the one sheep that is lost. Father, I pray if there's a lost sheep here this morning, that they would hear your voice, that they would come to you, that they would turn from their sin and put their faith in you for salvation. Lord, we, are, we know if they do that, you're faithful to save. Thank you so much. Lord, we give this time of response now to you. May we each be obedient to how you have spoken to us today through your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.